78 degrees in your house today. 78 degrees. And you said that, and you know what the first thing that came to my mind was? What? Yeah, but what was the humidity? Oh, I should check. It's pretty low right now. <laughs> you should check. Why do you not know that immediately? Well, I can I can check on the canary, but I, you know, I have uh, the little uh, manual units that I use. I deploy around the house just so mm. I know what the humidity you have, you have one around mm. your neck uh, <laughs> yeah, with, like with a red piece of yarn. <laughs> I was a latchkey child. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> You're a latch humidity child. <laughs> just so, so you could know what the humidity was when your parents weren't there. They just they tied it around your neck so you would know. I had to speak to a sorcerer named Tim, answer some questions. I, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a strange time of year. It's a very strange time of year. But yeah, like all of a sudden, you know how it is, like the different rooms that hit the, get the sun. You can see here. You got uh, microclimates. You got yeah. microclimates in your microclimates. Inside the flat. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. In, in the lounge, it was 78 mm-hmm. degrees. I still can't figure that flat business out because you did have that one ardent supporter who's saying that it's totally a thing in no, San Francisco. No, once but, again, your flying monkey swept in to say that flat is not a thing, even though they don't live in San Francisco. No, I was, I, you know, I was where we left it was like that I'm willing to believe it's regional, but I expected more regional people. And so you did have one person saying totally it's regional, like it's a thing mm-hmm. we say here, so on and so forth, but just the one. I, you know, I don't know if there's. Oh, yeah, maybe but there's like, plenty. Maybe, like, I, I've lived in Kansas my whole life and I've never yeah, heard yeah, flat. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, thanks, yeah. buddy. Right. No, you've got your legions out there. I, uh, no, I, here's the thing. I want to introduce a concept for this program. What, whatever is in the show is in the show. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do too much, uh, supra extra critical material outside the show. I like to keep it in the show. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I got mm-hmm. to, oh, you hear that? Can you hear that? Uh, you're, are you rubbing something? Yeah. I got this. A zipper. Yeah. I got this sweet new, oh, Jesus. I got this sweet new jacket for my birthday. But it's very noisy, so I'm going to take it off. Hmm. Um, I see. I could do that kind of thing people do to engage with social media, where I go out and I say, "Hey, quick poll, beep boop. Have you ever heard flat used in beep beep?" I'm not going to do that. Then you got to talk to people. And you got to put put one button, which is I just want to see the results, and everybody clicks that one. It screws up the whole process. And it's like Why do you have to put that button? Why do people put that button? That's a good question. Um, because I think they feel like it scotches the results that you can't see what people – it scotches people's reactions when they just want to see the results and they'll just hit anything, usually the clever one, the clever response. You don't hmm. see that though. You're on the, uh, you're on the yeah, Twitter. No, I, just, I just see a colon and then an empty space. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I just thought of something. Oh, I got a lot of bees in my bonnet tonight. Did you um, – do you remember an option – I must be high. I feel like I remember an option. There was an incantation at one point, I feel like on iOS 10, where you could phrase things a certain way in iMessages and it would get presented as an easily respondable, where you could say like, for dinner, do yeah, you do want- do you want to, uh, you know, Italian or Indian and you had a thing that, that had Italian did Indian I, Did and I imagine that? I recall that as well, but I'm trying to remember the context. Was it was it iMessage? Was it the messages application? Let me try it right now. I'm going to say for dinner. I'm doing this from uh, Mac OS, so it probably won't work. For dinner, uh, do you want Thai or Chinese? Oh, I know what it was. It was the, on the watch. On the watch is where. It was. Oh, is that it? So All if right. you get a text message that is phrased the way like that, so that you don't have to type a reply, it ex- tries to extract the two things, and you get a button. Okay. For each of the options, and you send that back. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind that in all of the places because that that is a lot of what I 
not a lot. It's a fair amount of what I do is like, do you want this, this, or this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, here's my worry about that. Kind of, well, kind of like the the poll thing where people just click to see the the poll thing, uh, to see the results. Um, I'm not sure there's enough intentionality involved in clicking the button for me to trust mm-hmm. that it represents like like we need like the double key system for sending off the nukes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, turn your know. key, sir. Exactly. You need to have it shows that no, you you really want to do this. Whereas, if they type a thing, that if they type Italian and they type it or whatever, and autocorrects your thing, I feel like they actually want Italian. Mm-hmm. But if they, if I get the response back that they tapped on one of the bubbles without an accidental tap, did they not understand like oh. what what would happen when they tapped it and then they tapped it and now it's too late? And now I feel like mm-hmm. I need a follow up answer to say just to confirm you understood that by putting your finger on the screen and touching that word that said Italian, you were telling me that, you, you know what right. I mean? It's like, yeah. it's too much. Do you agree to the terms and conditions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, you know, the reason I like that though, is if I say, do you want, uh, Thai or Chinese or, or foo? Uh, you know, what's not an option on there, whatever I want. Cause that's not the answer that I want. I'm asking you because I want to know what you want. Yeah. That's probably, they probably have a macro for that. Yeah, there, you know, I should probably get quick quick expansion. keys on my watch, something like that. I'm also mad, and I'm gonna just get this out of my system because I'm actually in a pretty good mood considering. Uh, I got I got a delivery attempted today. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the thing: uh, they tr- they quote unquote attempted a delivery yesterday, and it was during the very narrow window when I was picking my kid up from school. That's fine. That happens. I had to sign for this particular thing, FedEx. Uh, so tonight, so I made a point of making sure somebody was stationed at home all the time. So the girls just got home about 6.12 my time. And I said, hey, I love you. I'm going. I'm going to go talk to the Yucky John Syracuse and I'll give you a kiss when I come home. Bye. Hand it off. I get to the office. Guess what's waiting for me in deliveries? Delivery attempted at 6.14. Business was closed. Now, that doesn't seem cricket to me. Did, do you get this? Do you ever get this? Why did it say business was closed? Does it think you're a business address? No, it's the, it's the generic. Nobody was home. Hmm. It was delivery exception, customer not available, or business closed. Now it's back in South San Francisco, which is not really San Francisco. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of complaining about this on podcasts uh, lately, and I think it's all from people who live in cities. Yeah. I think that's what it boils down to. There's just too many packages to deliver in and not enough time and not enough I, people. I think you're right. I think the fact that it's, well, it's good and dark here. It's late. Mm-hmm. I, I, it could be that guy with the green hair. I don't, that, that guy's bad news. You don't listen to back to work anymore. There's this one guy who's a total, total rogue agent. Our, one of our FedEx drivers. He's a total rogue agent. And his famous move with me is he, he, I come down to greet him because I know what his MO is. He comes halfway up the steps. He throws a box up the steps and says, enjoy and walks away. At least he says enjoy. Mm, oh, I think he's being a little sarcastic. Oh, all right. I saw it was blue apron. It's a better way to cook. He throws the blue apron box. That's he that's throws the blue apron. Yeah, that's very heavy. <laughs> it is. Anyway, that frustrates me. And you know, it used to be it was just the postal service you would get that with UPS. But like, I always felt like FedEx was a Federal Express, as we called it. I always felt like they were pretty good at stuff like that. They always seemed pretty like on the level. Yeah, I think I'd be angry about this too. But so far, I'm pretty sure it hasn't extended to the suburbs. More or less, like they are. If we miss a package, we legit miss a package. I don't think I've ever had one say that a delivery was attempted when I was home. So mm-hmm. I'm still isolated from the uh, the big city problems. Yeah, well, I'm normally sort of like, 
I'm pretty burned out on the whole Apple frenzy thing. I do know how frustrating that is. Like if you're waiting for an iPhone or something like that and you get your FOMO and you're sitting there and like Mike Hurley's case, he's like sitting there with his shotgun on the porch, like watching, <laughs> scanning. I don't know, Nando's, I don't know who delivers there. But you, uh, but, you, but you look out for that. Orange, is that the service? I don't know. It's frustrating though. We should cut all this out. Speaking of Apple stuff, you sent me a, a screenshot and no. I noticed it's a very no. tall screenshot. No. no. No, what? I mean, you got a new phone. You don't want to no. say anything about it? I already have dealt with this. I'm returning <laughs> null on this entire issue. Well, so what did you have before? What phone did you have before? Oh, my God. Just tell me what phone you had before. Oh, my God. It'll be painless. I, I can't promise. stay out of this. I think I'm out. And then what do you do? What? What you, phone did you have before? You pull me back in. Mm. No, I'm not pulling you anywhere. I just want to know what phone you had before. I will talk about this with you if you like at the link that you would like. This is your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an um, iPhone 7 Plus that I was very, very happy with and I'm, I still think is terrific. So why did you get rid of it? I haven't gotten rid of it yet um, because I want to make sure, well, you know me, um, I want to make sure I got all my two-factor stuff squared away. My biggest paranoia, and one reason that honestly that keeps me from changing a primary device is just this feeling in my gut of like how central your, I don't know, what do you, what do you call it? Your primary, most, for most people, your iPhone. Like that is your place where you receive the SMSs, or in my case, it's, it's where I get Authy, it's where I get Google Authenticator, um, all those different things. Uh, and I just, I just sweat that so hard. You know me, right? I go into this real prayerful state. I got everything right here. I'm going to, I, I've bookmarked all of the exact instructions for each one. It's actually not that hard. Maybe it's a little too easy, but I, uh, that one's still around. I might get rid of it. It's, it's, no, but, I don't know. But like, why did you decide to get a new phone? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, why did I, I was, I mean, candidly, I'm breaking my rule to not talk about this. I will talk about this. I candidly was very curious about how, how Face ID worked. And the fact that it, it was the one of the primary things that made me skeptical. And then a lot of people, I think including you, maybe not so much you, but a lot of people seem to say you almost stop noticing that you even need to do anything with it, which is totally not true. Um, but uh, I, I was really interested to see how that worked. And what else was I curious about? Um, it just, everybody talked about how fast it was and how good it looked. And that was appealing to me. Do you, uh, do you get a phone every year? I haven't kept track of your phone I do. Phone I generally, I generally do. Yeah. And, but not on a, it's not on a schedule. It's more like it was, you know, the day before my birthday and I thought I deserved a treat. So, uh, <laughs> you give up your spot in line to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I may ban you. I, if I, if this, if this mini topics is any indication, I may ban you from listening to that show. I'm usually so flattered that you listen to anything that I do. You may be banned from do by Friday after this. We're going to see how it goes. I'm, uh, I, I dabble in podcasts now. Like I have too many podcasts. I can't religiously uh, listen to that many of them. So I hop from podcast to podcast, right. random episodes here and there. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's all I wanted to know. Cause, cause I, I knew you were, you were taking the strong stance of not having a strong stance on new phones. And I'm just, and I, I guess I had forgotten that you, did you generally get a phone, new phone every year or so? Well, now it's, now it's died down. So it doesn't feel as bad. It, it was, it was, um, suffocating for a while. The, the extent to which did the, you consider perhaps just like sitting it out to be like, uh, I, I mean, I like my phone just fine. I'll just, you know, I don't have an opinion on this new one. I don't right. want to hear about it or deal with it. Why don't I just want to just spend another year with my phone? Well, here's, here's the part. Here's the part about that position. That's going to sound very odd to people. 
which is my not having an opinion about this encompasses many, many worlds. Like there's the part of me that's like, geez, you guys, I don't need a third episode on how you tried to get a phone. Like, stop. Like, I love you so much, but please stop talking about this. It's so not interesting. And I didn't want to contribute to the noise about that, whether I liked it or not. But with that said, of course, I love Apple stuff. I've been using Apple stuff for 30 years. This year, it's 30 years. I love Apple stuff. And I do like having, it's not so much a FOMO uh, latest and greatest. It's more like, but I mean, but it is nice to have something that is better than what you had before. There's something unimpeachably great about a super strong product. And all signs pointed to, with a few little niggles, this being an extremely strong product in most regards. So, I mean, I'm not made of stone. Uh, But to be honest, it was that I woke up. And I did the Syracuse method. I did what I had been doing twice or three times a week, which is just for fun. I would go and look at my cart and see what it said. And it just so happened that this one day at 7.20, oh, I feel like it was like last Saturday, maybe. I think it was last Saturday. Something like that. Anyhow, I looked and it was like, uh, yeah, in-store available for pickup today. I was like, why not? And I did it. Uh, and I, and I, I really do like it quite a lot. What color did you get? Uh, the, the space gray. I don't, I, I thought I would like the way the other one looked more, but I, yeah, don't. me too. I really thought, cause I, I got the series, I got the series three in the silvery color and I, I think it looks kind of sharp, you know, it looks different. Right. Um, but I, I've, I'm real, I do keep it in a case cause it sounds crazy not to keep it in a case with how easily it breaks. I have a leather case, but uh, I love the way the edges feel. So you, are you going caseless right now? I forget. I don't even have this phone, remember? Oh, sorry. Your lady got it? Yeah. Oh, of course. I'm sorry. I do listen yes. to your program. I forgot. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Anyway, I've, I've just got so my you, you 7. you couldn't even I, really play with the Face ID. Exactly. I've got, But I've got my 7 and I've got a leather case. And if I got this phone, I would also probably get that leather case because I like the leather case. This is a nice compromise between grippiness and like uh, ability to slide into a pocket. It's a... Uh, I'm not usually the person who's all into the Ouye materials fetish, but... Uh, I, I think it's it f- feels really good in your hand. Let me just get through all the stuff that I. <laughs> I I'm not I'm not drawing this out. If you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. I just no, it's fine. I just I I yeah. So it does feel really good. The screen, I guess you know, I'm kind of blind, kind of deaf. Like I do notice the speakers are louder. I do notice, notice the screen looks good. It's one of those Apple products, though, where I don't notice how much better it is until I look at the other one. I get um, get used to how it looks pretty quickly with a new product. You know, same way that you if something feels really fast for the first day, and then mm-hmm. like a week later, you you know, you're not noticing it as much usually. Um, but it does look really beautiful. I like that you can do things that are totally black. That looks really sharp, like when you're in overcast. Um, I, I do like how fast it is. Uh, the, the, the two of them, maybe the marquee features, uh, let's do face ID second. Uh, the, I have gotten used to the gestures, uh, staggeringly quickly. It took me about two hours to feel really comfortable using the gestures, which really, really surprised me. It still bewilders my daughter when she grabs it and there's no button, but, um, I didn't have any problem. You guys were talking about the best way to get the switcher up. I haven't had any problems with that. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a champ and I love the way it feels. Face ID is good. Uh, the people who are saying you don't even notice it anymore. That has not been my experience. Maybe I need to redo my face title, but 
uh, it's you do need to look at it a certain way. If it feels to me like the way that I would unlock it in a lot of situations is it's going to be off angle down below, and it seems to want to be raised three to eight inches from where I'm usually holding it to get a good shot in my experience. So it is convenient. And I love that you can do it to unlock all the apps and for your autofill passwords and all that stuff. That's all really, really good. I don't love hitting that button to buy something. That feels weird. Um, I, I do like, for buying stuff, I like the Touch ID better. It was uh, more satisfying to do as a thing. But no, but Face, face ID seems seems good. Is your lady I heard like an idea about about the touching the the button to buy things. The idea that I heard, I forget, it was just some person uh, sent an email to ADP or something. It was like that uh, they always want to have uh, uh, kind of like the, the thing I just talked about, where you where someone taps the you know the choice between you know Italian and whatever for your uh, eating. They, yeah. they want to have something that they're sure uh, indicates user intention mm-hmm. and the user hitting a hardware thing, whether it be a touch ID button or the power button on the side is something that can't be faked by software. Uh, whereas all sorts of shenanigans could happen on the screen oh, in right. theory to, to try to get someone to tap on something that didn't mean to tap or whatever. That's this is the idea I heard. I don't, it, it would be, it would be harder. It would be harder to emulate a hardware click. Yeah. It's kind of like unmaskable interrupt, you know, control delete on the PC or whatever that, that, uh, that is the the ultimate form of intentionality and the least uh, and the hardest to be simulated. That, mm-hmm. That's just an idea. I have no idea if that's true, but mm-hmm. it's in, it's interesting that we're wh- where they choose to do that. Like as as the, it gets easier and easier to buy things, like you know how dangerously easy it is to buy things with Touch ID, and now with this, like that they don't actually want to make it. They're not Amazon. They don't actually want to make it so if you just glance at your phone the wrong way, it, like buys you twenty more paper towels. Right? That's not right. Apple's MO. So they do want it to be efficient, but also they don't want to have any silly stories about how yeah, you their, know, kid, their kid bought all these coins. Yeah, or they, they stared at their phone while while eating dinner and all the, all the while the phone was ordering things over and over again and it was caught in a loop and it was just reading their face or something. Who yeah. knows? But, you know. I think it's, no, I, I think it's smart. And, and the truth is, uh, I don't want to say security theater, but if it makes you feel more secure using it, that's probably not a terrible thing, you know, that you feel like you're breaking the glass, like you're doing it, like you, like you say, with intentionality. Did you try turning off the uh, attention thing? Not yet. Not yet. I, 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 Talking to you now makes you want to try that just for an evening to see uh, the difference. But, you know, I mean, there's this part of me, this old man part of me that still wishes. I mean, I know we don't have the button anymore, but like I kind of wish we had to do two things. Like I can envision a world where I would really want both Face ID and Touch ID that, you know what I'm saying? I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like it's, um, but I, I mean, I'm not that freaked out about it. I mentioned ATP that I thought it would, be, uh, it would be a bad phone if it had both of them, and mostly because not because like oh there's too much security, but like user confusion. Mm-hmm. Like, what things should I be doing now? And and the the impulse to try one when the other one doesn't work. My fingers wet, so I'll stare harder. I'm staring; it's not working. So let me try putting my finger on this. There's a clarity to just having to you know contort yourself to satisfy one system. If two systems are available, I feel like mentally at least i would be like ping pong well no i i meant i meant further that i meant i meant it would require both right for for super important things but for the non-important things yes uh, you think it would require them for all things like even just unlocking your phone or just for like purchases no i mean i think of it what's an analogy like you know the mall is closed 
you can still get into the parking lot when the mall is closed because there's nothing of extreme value out there. But the big doors at the front open up at 10 a.m. and you come in. And then they have to roll up the gates at exactly 10 a.m. They roll up the gates on the uh, Aunt Annie's pretzels. And now you can get in there, but you still don't get access to the cash register, right? Like you, <laughs> no matter how good a customer you are, you don't get to go in the cash register. That's kind of my mental model for this is I know this would add just given the way that settings is already such a bear to get through. There's this part of me, though, that wishes, you know, not so different from 2FA. I I wish there were some things that like had like super privileges and other things that were just like whatever. And they do that a little bit already. You can have stuff on your lock screen, all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Does your lady like it? I'm judging by the number of complaints that she's been conveying to me about it. I think she's more or less used to it. I'm not sure if she considers it much of an upgrade. I mean, I guess her, it's faster than her old phone. I think she likes the fact that it's a little bit smaller, like it's a nice compromise. She liked the big screen, but the other one was just so big. But right. mostly judged by the fact that she doesn't comment on her phone anymore. I think it's fulfilling its role as a phone and not annoying her too much, you know. So, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm such a weirdo. I have this ritual, not every day, but many days. I grab all of the devices, I put them next to each other, and I do app updates on all of them. I check for new software and I clean the screens. It's just a weird ritual I go through. And so the um, 7 Plus is still in service. It's still getting charged up, still getting updated because I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not ready to sell or mothball that because I don't want to make sure I didn't forget you know, something with authorization. I don't want to lock myself out. I'm a raving paranoic about that. I want to wait like at least a month, like a a cycle of bills, a cycle of logins, make sure I'm totally set. Um, But it is in the same way that it is very striking to hold and use my daughter's iPod, uh, iPod touch after, you know, having a seven plus, it does actually feel kind of weird. And the seven plus is not ungainly large to use, but it definitely feels big. And the new one does feel quite comfortable to use in screen grabs you're right it's so clear how tall the screen is it's very very odd but uh but in practice it, it works just fine and the notch doesn't bother me which surprises me too this episode of reconcilable differences is brought to you in part by squarespace you can learn more about squarespace right now by going to squarespace.com. And when you're ready to buy, please use the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, at checkout, and then I'll get you 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace because Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio, a blog. In my case, I use it to host a podcast. The whole Roderick on the Line podcast is hosted on Squarespace, has been since day one. I was on it as recently as yesterday, uploading an episode. It works a charm. I love it to death. Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform. Once you do anything you want to do, and there's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of their award-winning templates are beautifully designed to show off your great idea. This is a really cool feature, and it's easy to lose this one in the lights, but it used to be a really dark art to try and make your website look good on different web browsers. This was a very, very large problem. With Squarespace, 
can you make your website on their beautiful site? It's going to look great on any device or dingus that people are using. It's got responsive design. It looks great. It works great. It's just the best. Like I say, I've been using these folks for years. I can really highly recommend them. Even if you don't need Squarespace today, please consider Squarespace for the folks in your life that need a website. They want to maybe get off a social media site or augment their presence on the web with their own personal bespoke website. And you do not want to be in the webmaster business. I have been in the webmaster business. It's not a great racket. Point your friends to Squarespace. Now, here's the crazy part. Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month. You can start with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, please use the very special offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. That'll get you 10% off your first purchase. And it will show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. That wasn't so painful. You got a new phone. Yeah, it's nice. You had opinions about it. Yep, yep, yep. Your Apple TV uh, update is officially out, it looks like. It's out of beta. Yeah, so I've, so I've been told, but yeah, the, it's, I've, you've been using it in the beta and it's been fine. So mm-hmm. the, the actual release is not uh, eventful for me, unless it breaks stuff. I'm assuming it doesn't. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, what else was I going to say about the phone? It's, it's, it's good. I, I need to clean house. There's a, I need to get rid of a lot of apps. But and I think I went through and I think I've consolidated most of my two-factor things into a couple services that I'm confident in and sort of, you know, brought them together. But I don't know. Do you sweat that stuff? Uh, I've, I've been very happy with the transfers. I mean, I only did one phone transfer, but I've done, I did several iPod touch transfers and one phone transfer. And I have, really haven't had a problem with any of the the two factor stuff like it's all it, especially with like the the iCloud restores and everything everything's all still there everything's in all the authenticators I've never had to redo anything so now I just take it for granted that when I get a new phone and port everything over that I won't be missing anything like I, I wipe my old phone pretty it's quickly probably after. good to test it all though just to be sure yeah you just launch the app I want to see like I launch you know whatever authenticator app and I scroll through the list and say oh yeah that looks like most of the stuff like I'm you know it, in the end I feel like there's most of these things have all sorts of emergency outs of like, oh, if yeah. you lose all your stuff, here's the super secret codes. Here's you all your keep letter, in your all your safety words. deposit box. And, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I like about the one password way of doing things, I don't use it for all of them, but for example, one service I use generates, you do a, you know, email address and password and immediately prompts you for the verification code. And in the later, more recent versions of one password, um, I don't know. This might be bad. It feels good. You, when you enter it in, it automatically puts the code, a current code in your clipboard. So basically you can just log right in without having to go to one. You know what I'm saying? Have you, have you experienced this? I know what you're talking about. If it generates like a six, yeah, you generate like a six digit code and you mm-hmm. get a little pop up on Mac OS that says, okay, your temporary code is in, just paste it in and that works. And then it just replaces the clipboard in like 20 seconds. And that's, that's really good. I always forget on iOS that you can copy and paste the authenticator codes. I always just end up memorizing them <laughs> frantically and, and retyping them. And usually all you have to do is tap them. And that is it, and so, that is so stressful. That is so stressful. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. This occurred to me the other day. This Maybe this will be our dumb security episode. Um, so you've had occasion, let's just be general, to use things like Authy or Google Authenticator. You, you're mm-hmm. familiar with using an app like this to generate a time sense. Yep. Time, yeah, okay. Uh, am I dumb or doesn't it kind of seem like 
those apps should have password protection on them. I don't think the one that I use for most things, I don't think has that. Yeah, I think what they're the reason they don't have it is they are relying like the whole the whole thing behind this is they're relying on your phone as the the thing you have, the, the secure have, device. Yeah. And once once you're into your phone, there's not a second level of locks. Right. So that's that's the whole premise that this phone be, belongs to you. Only you can get into it, only you have it. Um and I guess, you know, they feel like they don't need a second thing, especially with, with time sensitive stuff if you're typing in it's like you could have locks within locks within locks where to get into your authenticator app you need a password so you have to pull that password out of one password and to get into one password you need, like it's just i don't know I've, I, I've it's never really bothered me because i feel like once i'm on my phone i'm into sort of the inner sanctum of uh, of security at that point anyway did you see that article going around i didn't listen to all of the latest uh atp but did you see that article going around about the guy who wrote about his concerns with the way things like iTunes backups are handled with iOS 11. Did you see that article? Yeah, I and I saw a second article that that was talking about all the same stuff, but had the exact opposite conclusion that Apple had actually made things more secure when they were previously, and they both had their reasons. And it really depends on how you look at it and what you consider too far. The first, art- the first article seemed to say that that he this this uh, I guess this person has some bona fides in the security world. Maybe you can help me find that article. Uh, had said that. Um, that up until through iOS 10, this person felt that this was a really, really sound system and that you really, it was, it would be difficult. This, I think it was along the lines that like, if you do an iTunes encrypted backup on your Mac, there's a unique, I guess, key or whatever that's generated by your phone. So like if that it's phone based and that that isn't the case with iOS 11. I think the idea was that uh, if you had your phone, your phone's pin, you could decrypt all sorts of things that you weren't able to decrypt before. So that like your phone's pin was sufficient to get at not just into your phone, but also to decrypt like iTunes backups or something like that. The gist of it was that um, it, even if you had two factor enabled, your phone's pin acted as this one mega factor that you could work around stuff. And then the second article I read was uh, it used to be that if someone stole your phone while it was unlocked, they could like change all your passwords and take over your life. Like the whole idea of you're talking on your phone on the street and someone swipes it out of your hand, yeah. or you're, you know, like it's already unlocked and they get it. Um, uh, and it used to be that if they did that, you were in big trouble because now they basically had your unlocked uh, thing and they could go to your email and do forgot password and do resets and so on and so forth. And, and that in iOS 11, they changed it so that if you want to do any of that stuff, like, so ha, you've got your unlocked phone, but you want to start resetting some passwords and changing the person's Apple ID oh, password you still and need stuff. The code. That, then it asks you for the pin and it didn't use to. Okay. So two two different, I mean, but it can both be true that the person who was complaining about the pin is, is now more powerful than it was for like decrypting backups. That could also be true. But on the other side, they're ad- asking for the pin in, in this situation where someone grabs your unlocked phone. So I don't know. Like I was, I worry about that. I worry about the, the power of the phone. I worry about the power of the phone more than I worry about the power of my email because I feel like my email I mean, it, you know, it's 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 connected. Like your email is such an important thing for you to get at lots of other stuff. So you try to lock that down as securely as possible. But the phone is partially a way to get into your email because mm-hmm. if you have any sort of two factor stuff, um, no, just keep keep an eye on your phone. Yeah, <laughs> put all your eggs in that one password basket and then watch that basket. <laughs> I noticed before, by the way, what? How do you pronounce your uh, your your mother's sister? Ugh. 
Don't ask. You know, do you don't have like I've a capi- set no, way, or you just no, you fluctuate? I've, I've capitulated. My entire my entire life, everyone in my family, everyone I know, if you're referring to the sister of a sibling, or, or sorry, the, the sister of your partner, I always said aunt. Always, never mm-hmm. said auntie. I uh, always say you say aunt, you say aunt and aunt and uncle. And that is strictly mm-hmm. verboten in my household. That that is seen as really, really savage. And unfortunately, I have a sister in law whose name is Anne. And so now I the only my brain I did get a snap to grid on Anne, where now I call her Auntie Annie. Because I, I just because before you talked about the pretzel place in the mall and you said Aunt Annie's something which like is that. something I think I've ever heard anyone say before because the name so clearly is begging you to say. I know this is what they've Aunt done Annie. to me, John. These people are they're monsters. You should you should tell them that you you uh, found yourself saying Aunt Annie and, and say huh huh I mean because no one could be in favor of that no I don't one even is, know if I said it right I might have I might have snapped to gridded double snapped to gridded and, and mentioned my uh, my sister in law tell her I said hi uh, no that's it's I don't like it I don't I'm I, now what about right. you what do you say what do your people say I I don't think I've ever found myself saying Aunt I suppose I could be pulled into it if I was having a conversation with someone who kept saying Aunt but I'm I'm pretty much Aunt all the way. I recently heard somebody on a podcast, an American person, who very, I think it was on Chapo, very unselfconsciously said rather, especially on a show like that. It's kind of <laughs> weird for this guy to say rather. Isn't that odd? Do you, do you get that? Is that a Boston thing? I have not heard that. I have not heard that. I think that's, I guess, into the realm of like some weird Madonna fake accent thing <laughs> going on. It's an affectation. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right, so we we have we have a mini topic here that I just wanted to touch touch upon. Oh yes, you certainly do. Yes, you there. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about it too much. <laughs> yeah. Delicate interplay. No, that's all right. Go ahead. On another one of your programs, <laughs> you had some segment where you all the hosts found themselves talking about garlic. I was I was talking about how I prepare a what is called a standing rib roast or a prime rib, and I, mm. and I mentioned that. I, I like those little cubes of garlic that are frozen that you get from the Whole Foods. And it's a nice, simple way to deal with, uh, with garlic. And you've made that a t- uh, mini topic. That's not the topic I want to talk about. I don't even know what those things are. Uh, and I, you know, I'll, I'll leave that to, to, I feel like it was addressed on the program. But there was a question that came up in the discussion of garlic. And mm-hmm. it was about garlic presses. And this is the first time I'd ever heard sort of any... You're telling me I'm getting off the hook that easy? Any... Oh, I, I can I can put you back on the hook if you want. No, no hook. But, no but hook. I don't, but honestly, I've I have never. I don't know what those things are. I guess I understand your description, but mm-hmm. I've never seen them for sale. I've never purchased them. I have no idea how bad or good they are. But garlic presses, I do know something about. And there was some discussion over whether whether it's appropriate to press your garlic. Like, is this a thing that you should do? As opposed as opposed to like as opposed to like smashing it with a knife. Yeah, as opposed to anything else. Like, there's all sorts of different ways. And I and I had never, it had never occurred to me that there was controversy here. Like, that that some people were anti-garlic press for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't feel like that was fleshed out. I, I, I know it went to Twitter and they were all like, uh, you know, asking yeah. all their friends, please tell me what you think about pressing garlic. You know, asking all their culinary friends and... The answers were all over the map. Oh, this no, okay. Now this, I'll allow this. I am curious to hear about this. Well, so where do you come down on the garlic press? Um, I have one and I use it, and I can't understand why it would be controversial. You can't or can't understand? Cannot. Rather, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know either. I'm I'm thinking maybe. Uh, all right, so this this is the, the the grand unified theory of garlic, and it's not very complicated. Garlic, you know what garlic is. It has a strong taste, and basically, the more you mess with it, the more of that taste comes out faster. Uh, so, if you huh. take an entire head of garlic and throw it into something, it is not going to give up its garlicky flavor immediately or in in a strong way. If you mm-hmm. take a clove of garlic, you know, if you if you crush it a little bit, eh, some some of that garlic flavor is coming out a little bit, right? It's mm-hmm. basically how much do you break up the cell walls? If you slice it, well, every every slice you made is cutting a bunch of cell walls. It's more bioavailable you, uh, garlicness. What if you mince it? Now you're you're cutting through even more cell walls and releasing its garlicky flavor. Again, it's got the same amount of flavor. It's just a question of how fast is it released and where. And garlic press is the ultimate. Give me all of the 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 volatile chemicals that are in this garlic immediately now in maximum dose fastest fastest as possible which means that it will dissipate the fastest as well which means you shouldn't like you know if you're going to cook it to death then you will you will basically guarantee that all of the garlic flavor has been you know dispersed and cooked away so if you want the garlic flavor to be slowly released over time or you want to be able to eat some garlic as part of the dish and taste the garlic flavor instead of just this pulpy mess that has had all its flavor dispersed already mm-hmm. like that's the continuum and i always consider garlic press on it's it's as far as you can go because a lot of recipes call for you to mince things but who's got time to mince garlic are, like that, take, they, i mean like the, the other thing is and, and this is not exactly what you're saying but like if you are going to do something like a sauce or a stew and let's say you don't want it to be overpowered with garlic or maybe let's say there's somebody in your family who's not opposed to the taste of garlic but doesn't want to bite into garlic that's another nice thing where like a bit of a clove what do you call the individual pieces? The individual clove head is the big thing. Clove is okay, the little head. One. Okay, so a clove that you've you've cut the skin off of and tossed in there. That way, you say to yourself, "Okay, I know there's five garlic cloves in here. I need to retrieve those before I serve this." That can be good. Whereas on the other hand, the garlic press I think is really good if you want to if you want to do some sautéing because it kind of melts easier. Yeah, you won't see you won't see any garlic, and it will get rid of all the flavor. Now you got to be careful, because if you do that, like all your garlic flavor could be gone by the time you're eating, because you just you know a lot of it went off into the air, and you just crushed it and it went away. So, um, I would say garlic press is just a tool. You got to know when to use it and when not to use it. And the only additional thing I have about uh, cutting up garlic is my favorite shape that you can cut garlic into, like the sort of my go-to happy medium for dishes where I want garlic flavor and also I want to be able to eat garlic, like actually eat pieces of it because that's, I, I like doing that in the things, mm-hmm. is the, I guess you would call it the disc or the slice. So you're, you're cutting it sort of across the uh, the core, right? Like so you a, get like these a little, Goodfellas cut. No, because that was like with a razor blade making super little thin things that, you know, melt and whatever. That's that's mostly BS. And that's, that's, that's basically like your hand, your hand, pressing it or hand mincing it because you're trying to cut through every single cell wall and these single cell with sheets with the razor blade <laughs> right it's like Discs, it's like you're, like, a, like you're a pathologist doing slides exactly yeah that's that's a little bit silly discs that are maybe a couple of millimeters wide oh, okay uh, right uh, that is a it's easy to do because it's not it's not fussy you just take the the garlic cloves and you just slice 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 each one goes into maybe you know five or six slices they're big enough that you can see them and manipulate them uh, they, you know, it's not, 
and they retain their flavor for longer because they're thick enough that you know you don't they're not like immediately giving up everything they have to give up. So I would recommend people look into the slice as a nice medium between a crushed entire clove or a whole entire clove or mincing or crushing. The the slice is the shape that I think most people overlook, especially good for pastas where I think that it's mm-hmm. with the pasta cooking time and the amount of time you bit. want to put into, into prep. Yeah, you can brown them a little bit. That soften. It, it's look into that. Now, That's a good now, one. Now for your for your things here, you sent me a picture of these. Well, let's, hang on, hang on. We'll get to that. I'll, I'll, I'll take my beating in a second. Um, how do you? How much garlic do you get when you get garlic, and how do you store it? Uh, it's stored up on in the little thing outside of the fridge with the onions. So you keep it in a bespoke garlic box. It's it's like a like a wire mesh. Okay. Basket. So it's kind of out in the open. You don't feel the need to seal that or refrigerate that. No, okay. not refrigerated, not sealed in any way. Uh, I usually keep it up high. I don't know why. It's just nice. where we have have a little basket. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't put uh, garlic or onions near potatoes. They don't they like breed. each other. Don't feed them after yeah. midnight. Exactly. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and how do I buy it? You buy it ahead of time. Ahead of time. And you leave the heads up there. And depending on the season, they keep pretty well. Okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, my go-to back in the day used to be when I, I don't know where I first heard the trick of using the knife to kind of crush, you, you take it off, it's still got its little uh, nipple on it, its little skin, and you do the crushing, which Max, of course, felt like he was educating me about because he's such a wise millennial. Uh, but you do the smash, and then that makes it easy to take off the skin and the nipples, and then you can do whatever you want to do next from there, whether it's going to be putting it into the uh, squeezy thing or doing the little slicey thing. Do you do that? If I'm in a hurry to get the papery bits off, yeah, that's the, the fastest way to do it. There are all sorts of other weird techniques to do it as well. But when I do the slice, if I'm making a recipe with sliced garlic, I don't do that. I want to slice the the cloves with all their integrity. So I will I'll, I, I want to I I will snip off the ends to help get the papery bits off, but I do not want to crush it because what I want is fully constituted slices, not a sort of half-crushed clove that has lost its integrity and then slice that, I want complete, perfect slices. So it, it mm-hmm. takes a long time if you if you want to do that, if you if you care about that. If you don't care about that, by all means, take the paper off however you want to do it and then slice, 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 because that's the whole point of the slices. It's not too fuzzy, and you're not sitting there mincing for an hour or, like, rubbing salt into with the back of your knife to, like, make a paste. All sorts of things to, like, do what the garlic press does, but in a slightly nicer way. Um, but no, I, I, I'll do that in, in a recipe where I don't want the slices and, or like, for example, if it's going into the garlic press, if it's going into the garlic press, I don't care what the things look like. So I'll definitely do the side of the knife to smash it just to get them, mm-hmm. get them into the garlic press as fast as possible. Cause who cares? Like you're about to be squishing them anyway. I never think about the cell walls. You give me a whole new dimension to this. It's all, it's all about the cell walls. It's all garlic is. Well, I know that's it's true with the about- corn. I know corn's all about the cell walls. I didn't know that about the garlic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got the, you got the cubes here. You got this is this crushed garlic is it actually like what are the what do the cubes look like are they just like uh, imagine garlic that had gone through a garlic press but then like that pulp is made into cubes and frozen almost, almost exactly the size of a sugar cube uh crushed garlic and the size of a sugar cube and you pop it out and it thaws super quickly and you can just toss it into your thing no oil <laughs> sort salt lemon concentrate so mm. here's here, mm. all right here we go here's right. the problem with these things like garlic uh-huh. Uh, oh, you're once, right. It's got a lot more than garlic in it. Look at that. Yeah. W- once you have, once you've broken those cell walls, the timer starts. Like oh. those, everything in there that's good about garlic is volatile and is going to react with everything else around it, including the air. 
<laughs> and I know they're trying to freeze it to try to say, you know, okay, it's starting to do that thing, but quick freeze it. Mm, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've never tasted these things, but I have to imagine, I have to imagine they at the very least taste different than what garlic should taste like. And I'm not sure the convenience they're providing yeah. is like, especially since I think like, it depends on your, your environment, I guess, but. <laughs> Garlic keeps really well, mm-hmm. especially in the wintertime or in dry yeah. weather. You just leave it up there. Like, they'll sprout eventually, right? But even after they sprouted, you can salvage. Like, it's not a big deal to just essentially always have garlic around when you need I know. it. And it's not that big a deal to pull it out. So, I don't, I don't life, think this is a problem. Life is about trade-offs, should. John. I know. And it's, uh, it, it is just, it's very convenient. And, like, uh, if I had nothing to worry about except the wallpaper-esque evening that I'm having with my partner as we sip red wine from an oversized glass in the kitchen and leisurely make our dinner together. Uh, if that was, if that was, if that was all I had to do, my goodness, I would have artisanal garlic and I would slice it like a gentleman. It's just that, uh, this kind of also keys into my tofu recipe, which for the third episode in a row, I am taking this thing to a whole new level. (laughs) My, my tofu recipe is on point at this point. It's, Last night I made it, and I made it with this garlic junk. I also uh, some sliced ginger. I don't know if you have a feeling on ginger, if you like to grate it or how you do it. Ginger, uh, sesame seeds, sesame oil, soy sauce, black pepper. I didn't have any white pepper. Uh, and then you, you fry that in the pan. And I got accolades from my lady friend about that, like I've gotten about very few things I've ever made. She certainly does not compliment my meat anywhere near the way that she compliments my tofu. You got all that stuff going on in there. Maybe you can get away with this stuff. It, it, yeah. Here's the thing with with the like uh, convenience foods like this. If you have them enough, it sort of becomes part of the recipe. Mm-hmm. Like that, you can't use the fresh version. Like we all know recipes like the what do you call green the casserole, casserole thing with, with the can with the like, canned, yeah, uh, canned, onions. canned mushroom soup. You can't make that with if yeah. you try to make it with like I made my own fresh mushroom soup. Like no, you've no, now no, no, messed no. up the recipe. Yes, like. So you just get used to it tasting a certain way, regardless of whether this stuff tastes anything like garlic. If that's the recipe and that's the thing that they like, if you were to substitute regular garlic after feeding them this thing for a year, they'd be like, oh, it tastes different this time. Do you like yeah. it better? No, make it the old way. I like it the old way. That's that's the danger. That's the danger of convenience foods, the danger and, and the glory of convenience foods that <laughs> eventually that just, like, with, like me with the yellow mustard, like me with the, the bright yellow French's, you know, mustard that yeah. I never had my whole life, but then the dining hall served and then eventually... That's what I have to have on my hot dog, even though it's crap compared to the quote unquote real mustard. It's just is what you get used to. Yeah, it's, it's it's totally true. But it's it's also funny, like with little kids, like uh, if I were to say to my daughter, "Hey, how would you like a meal with lots of garlic in it?" Like, no way, not interested. Thank you very much. That's too close to an onion. No, thank you. But she too loves garlic bread. Onion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah. Do you do you make garlic bread? I don't. We uh, sometimes get it as a side thing when we get like delivery uh, Italian food. That's a good. I usually throw that in my kids' face when they complain about too much garlic and things. I'm like, when I make garlic bread, you yeah. guys can't get enough of it, and like that is the garlic garliciest thing that we make in this whole house. Basically, it makes the whole house smell but like garlic. It makes you salt. smell like it's garlic. The butter and salt, man. Like that's 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 know, my daughter know, would just but, live but, on but butter and salt. Not like the garlic flavor is subtle. <laughs> I'm using no, no, real right. real garlic, uh, and I'm I use the garlic press for. You know, into press the garlic into the butter mm-hmm. uh, and like cook that. Mm, and get, that, that butter good. is that butter is entirely infused with all the goodness that that garlic has to offer. And then 
You sprinkle Butter sprinkle, sprinkle some uh, Kraft Parmesan cheese on top? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. That's where, that's where I draw the line on, on convenience foods. Like, I'm really, willing to entertain... <laughs> I'm willing to entertain the idea that you're making a stir fry with these little cubes of whatever the hell they are, right? But yeah. if you're going to make Parmesan cheese, either get Parmesan cheese or don't. Like, there's yeah. plenty of other cheeses you can get that are fine. But, like, if you're going to get Parmesan, just get the real thing. Or just don't get I get it. your I, – I follow your advice from your post, which we'll find for our annual discussion about pasta. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I get the what the, the Parmigiano – Parmesan Reggiano. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. I would say uh, next time – not for this – not for stir fry type things, but if you make some recipe – Probably some Italian recipe, some pasta recipe that has garlic in it. You should try the regular garlic and see what, I, see what the time okay, is. First of all, yes, I will do that. I will absolutely do that. I just also want to stipulate that's how I cooked things with garlic for 30 years or 40 years. This is something my wife picked up at Whole Foods a few years ago, and now we use. I'm aware of garlic as something that can be sliced or minced, or I'm aware of those things. I just... I don't know why I feel the need to defend this, but that's how I made garlic things for as long as I've been making food with garlic. Well, maybe you like the taste of this. Does this taste you like garlic or does it taste like another taste that you like? Like, uh... No, I mean, it's it imparts a garlicky taste. It So it does taste like garlic to you? It's just a yeah. more convenient way to get it? Well, yeah. You can taste the lemon. <laughs> the canola oil? It really brings out the essence of this. Like the, the cell lem- walls. Lemon concentrate? <laughs> the cell walls. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Eero. You can learn more about Eero right now by visiting Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com. Eero has created the dream Wi-Fi setup, a fast, reliable connection throughout your house and even the backyard. Now is the best time to get on board with Eero since they have just released their new super slick second-generation devices. Eero have now introduced their tri-band second-generation model along with Eero Beacon, allowing you to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. The new second-generation Eero includes a third 5 gigahertz radio, making it twice as fast as before. That is very fast. This lets you do more than ever. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero has the power to blanket your entire home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. It sits flat on any surface. You just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you're ready to connect your Eero either with Ethernet or wirelessly. I do mine with Ethernet, and it works great. The new Eero also includes a new thread radio, which lets you connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, and more. And Eero is introducing the new Eero Beacon. I have these, and they're great. You just plug it into a wall, and it expands coverage into any room. You can add as many Eero Beacons as you want, so long as you have that first Eero device. It's really cool. It comes with a built-in nightlight uh, that you can turn on or off. It's got an ambient light sensor. Super good. I never fall down anymore. It's good. Thank you, Eero. And the Eero app. I love the Eero app. It lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand can easily create and share a guest network and uh, Eero's customer support is amazing. Let me go back to this app for a minute because they recently improved this app. I use this app all the time. I ain't going front. Uh, yeah, it lets you do stuff like test your, uh, your, your your bandwidth, like how fast are your downloads. And it also does this cool thing where you can look at all the devices on your network and it will show you what the download and upload speed at that moment are for each item. This is super handy. If it's not obvious, I have used and love the Eero system. It has been a godsend for us. We no longer have dropouts throughout the house. You just walk around, and this one little network works for everything. It is the best. The new Eero system starts at $399 for one second-generation Eero plus two beacons. That's everything you need to get started. And listeners of this program can get free overnight shipping to the U.S. or Canada when you head over to Eero.com, that's E-E-R-O.com, and use the promo code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S. That's Eero.com, promo code DIFFS for free 
overnight shipping. Our thanks to Eero for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Ready to talk about uh, Chromebooks or school security? Or both? Yeah. Well, <sighs> I noticed a pattern. Okay, Stuart Wellington. <laughs> I'm going to see them on Saturday. Yeah, oh, the San Francisco show, right? Yeah, I'm excited. Stu, uh, Stu got me on the list. You're going you're gonna to introduce yourself as Marlon Man from the internet? I'm going to take something for them to sign because my daughter is so freaking envious that I'm going to see them. <laughs> They're going to feel bad that you're letting your 10-year-old daughter listen to their show. Not appropriate. We watch some of the little videos. Mm-hmm. I'm an unborn letter with so much potential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some from of those Bushido. videos have bits in them that are what the Pervasoid store. That's totally normal. Uh, I like those guys a lot. I really, I don't, I don't, I know how it is to go and perform and travel and do all that stuff. It's very stressful, and so I'm. Yeah, he's got a bad back. He's got a terrible back right now. He's having an awful time. Right. Uh, I really hope I get to meet them. I really would like to say hi. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Dan listen to my compliments. I'm going to tell him how much I enjoy what he does, and it's going to be really awkward. There you go. Mm-hmm. I'll also give him some tips. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're looking for, the tips and tricks. <laughs> Dan never yeah. gets sick of that. You got any hacks? You have any trouble with your email inbox? Before, before this episode starts, I just want to say, uh, about 15 minutes in, uh, something happened with Elliot's audio, and we <laughs> don't know what it was or how to fix it, but... <laughs> So it must, this must feel like such a Sisyphean thing to him. Like how, like 10 years they've been doing the show, something like that. Yeah, no, it's the the demon haunted world. It's it's like man versus nature. You can't, there's no overcoming it. It's not, it's not a thing that can be mastered. Well, it's like he's, he's Wiley Coyote and sound quality is the roadrunner. Yep. That's how, that's how it seems like insurmountable. I know. Because at this point, at this point, you're just like, this is the nature of reality and nothing, <laughs> there is nothing that can be done. And so I, we just, we just sit back and we just, we enjoy it. We just let it happen. I do. I do. I bought this uh, Acme podcast sound better pill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited about that. Anyways, uh, love those guys. Uh, I noticed something. When did this start? So, you know, kids use computers and do stuff at school using computers. I think mostly probably starting around maybe first, second grade, but like definitely in third and fourth grade. My kid's doing more stuff with the computer. That's, there's testing. Um, they all get accounts on a popular service with limited functionality to do things and get to docs. <laughs> they get things like the services where you can like do reading at home and then like your teacher gets to see how well you're doing with your reading at home. I feel really weird even talking about this. But something that I noticed from fairly early on that at first just kind of tickled the hairs on the back of my neck, but now drives me absolutely crazy um, is that the, what I would just generally call like the security, let's be specific, the password hygiene, the kids are learning in my experience is very bad and very damaging, very silly. And maybe to the point I want to ask you about, I feel like it's a tremendous missed opportunity in the curriculum, not to make your kid a weirdo, but like at the same time that you're doing all these um, (sighs) modules and sections on how to be safe and stranger danger and lockdown drills, like why don't we also teach them, I mean, they don't have to be perfect, but why don't we teach them to be better than stupid about things like passwords? And I just feel like it's 
starting with the teacher who has everybody on the two line and no BCC, like all the way down the line, it just feels like there's a certain amount of tone deafness to beyond just the material, right? So the material, they are, you know, furtively, like honestly trying to make a real attempt to get people to get kids to be better at reading and doing their math and stuff like that. But I just feel like there is, on the one hand, it's foolish to give kids crappy passwords that are actually literally guessable because of reasons we can talk about. But I also just really feel like it's a missed opportunity to make that part of their their little education is to like realize that this is an important thing. It's the it's could be the first module in like the same reason we explain why we have a lock on the door. Like why aren't we helping them be better? And maybe my my prologue aside now, how do you feel about that? Do you see what I'm talking about? Am I being a weirdo? Are your kids getting better exposure to password hygiene than mine is? Two minds about this, because I do think that in every basic school education up through high school, we should be teaching kids basics about how to be safe on the Internet, because it's just part of life and they should be taught it. And the same reason we have we teach them all the other things from how to write a check to sex ed to stranger danger, like all we teach kids these sorts of things. It's not it's not vocational, but it's sort of. Things you need to know to get by and practical life. information. And it used to not be like, you know, I don't know when what decade sort of health class became a thing and sex ed became a thing. But there was a time when that was not a thing that we taught people in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at some point, you know, we all decided collectively that reading, writing, arithmetic are fine. But there's there's a set of other things that are important enough. That we should tell kids about it. I think it was. I think it was drugs. I think I really think it was drugs. When I when drugs, I first started getting sex. health classes, the sex stuff and the like, don't get VD stuff was definitely part of it. But the huge, the hugest amount of what we covered in every health class I can remember was about the dangers of drugs and just books filled with images. I'll never forget an image of a shirtless, a black and white photo of a shirtless, probably fourteen year old boy with a bag over his head, dead from um, sniffing glue. And like that was that was very and all the all the posters of people like with diseased lungs and all that stuff like from smoking that was mm-hmm. I think health class existed primarily as a way to keep kids off of alcohol drugs and uh, similar and the the more high minded ideal uh, um, you know especially in the times before AIDS but even after like the sex education yes it was all about how to avoid disease so on and so forth but there was a very important component of it I would say the core component that demystified sex that if your parents didn't have any talk with you about it guess what you're going to learn it in school and you're going to learn the actual real truth from an authority figure who you can trust this is how it actually works uh you know pregnancy mm-hmm. sex pregnancy birth demystifying an important thing uh that everyone in in the class is probably going to encounter in their life and you should have some clue about it uh and yes, there's safety stuff, but also just the, the basics. So I think internet security falls into that same category. Oh, of can, sort I, of, can I make one note on what you said? Because I think you accidentally just said, well, you said something that I'm realizing is really smart, which is that one element of education that's, that's sometimes a little bit difficult to get your hands around is like, how do you, whether this is algebra or condoms, like how do you introduce a kid to an idea to let them know how important this thing is likely to become in their life? without the kind of full disclosure about exactly every little thing that's involved with that, right? So like, even before you learn about the Holocaust, there's still other historical things you learn. And even before you learn what happens if you, you know, uh, use a glory hole, like there are still like baby steps to getting you there. And that's, 
in this here, like we're not necessarily getting straight to the whole like clown in a white van looking for his puppy, but we are able to give you some general heuristics uh, for knowing when something doesn't feel right, right? So like you're kind of teaching them how to get a certain feel for doing things, for knowing what's important and doing the right thing even before they fully understand why they're doing that. Yeah, and that, there's there's that important ramp for a lot of these quote-unquote sensitive topics. But uh, security is interesting because it's not it's not so much that it's a sensitive topic that we'd want to like ease people into it because there's no reason you can't just go whole hog into like here's you know here's how to be safe on the internet here's how to use good passwords and security and so on and so forth like you could do that pretty much at any point because i don't think parents you don't have to send a note home to the parents to tell them you're going to teach them about strong passwords right mm-hmm. um but it comes up earlier because because it's so pervasive right because because they're going to encounter this not in the form of education but in the form of Oh, and we use technology in schools too. So you, what you're actually trying to teach you is reading or math or whatever. And incidentally, the th- tools we're using to do that use all this computer security mumbo jumbo that we haven't explained to you yet, right? Right. And I kind of understand uh, the desire to, like the, the 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 this technology and security aspects of that are are basically a barrier to getting to the learning part that they care about. Mm-hmm. Well, and and and, so not, and not even yet getting to the fact that the teacher may not be super duper savvy and is certainly very time constrained. Doesn't it would be they don't have time to do support for a kid who's forgotten their military grade password. Right, and like it's the for you know the trade off between security and convenience in that context. The earlier you go, the more they're going to say convenience 100 percent. like if they were allowed i think teachers would say no passwords for any children no Mm -hmm. security whatsoever like because anything that gets in the way of getting towards the the learning that i care about because in my curriculum my units here's what i'm supposed to teach and nowhere in my curriculum and it doesn't say anything about computer security so everything that has anything to do with computer security is like damage. It's like right. It's, take, it's taking time away from the thing that I'm being evaluated. For. Right. Exactly. And they, yeah. they're not going to be tested on it. It's not, I'm not going to be measured based on it. Like we're not doing that right now. So get it out of the C- way. Cynic, cynical, but totally understandable. And and obviously, you know, the downsides of that are obvious. Like you're teaching kids terrible habits, right? But there, I can imagine them considering an upside to it as well, which is this is another example of the, the other very important thing you're teaching, especially in early education, of like how uh how to follow rules right so there is an honor system like pretend they all had no passwords the the whole idea is like you know you're not supposed to go into your neighbor's desk and take their erasers right if you do that that's against the rules of the class you're not supposed to log in as the person next to you uh, what's stopping you from doing that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing is stopping you. We have no security whatsoever. Pretend nobody, nobody has any passwords. Well, no more than it stops a kid from breaking every pencil. I mean, it's, there's this there's this resource for the class, and like, why why would why would somebody just go and destroy right. it? Right. And no so, reason? like, the the lack of security is kind of a feature in the we're learning how to follow rules and be nice people, and like the the honor system. Very lots of environments where young children are going to have to do something based on the the honor system, which doesn't really get that name until later in life. But that is an important, another important lesson that probably actually is on the on the sort of uh, the list of uh, curriculum for for that those kind of years, teaching kids to get along with each other and to follow instructions like that. That actually is like spelled out explicitly as a thing you're learning in first grade or second grade. You know, so I have some sympathy for the idea that these in these instances people 
they're not teaching about computer security. They don't want to teach about computer security. And they they feel like they don't need it because the things they are teaching about following rules and using the honor system, this dovetails nicely with it. And any problems they might have are problems that they can deal with in the same way they deal with someone breaking all the pencils. Like that's a thing that they, that first grade class teachers deal with all the time. First grade class teachers don't deal with, I forgot my password and I have to constantly reset my password. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not something they're, they're expected to deal with. And they're also not modeling good behavior, as you noted with everything on the two line, just because they don't know. Um, every, every single teacher she's ever had. Yeah. I mean, like here's the thing. So it's not just teachers. Um, the, the, this, the final aspect of this for me that I think that kind of makes me a little bit hopeless is, the education system, best case, like gets everyone up to some sort of uh, a nice looking bell curve, like an average, like, like uh, most people are kind of in this fat part. And then we have extremes on either end. Mostly we want everybody to be, to meet some minimum criteria. Everyone comes out of school, they can read, they can write, they can do basic math. They can, you know, they, there's, there's a minimum bar, right? When I look across the mass of humanity, especially now, m- many decades, many generations into the internet age, it seems to me that the minimum, like th- what you can hope to expect from an adult who quote unquote knows how to use technology in the internet is that it's basically impossible on average for people to know how to use email quote unquote correctly. Mm-hmm. Basically impossible for people to use anything approaching uh, good password hygiene. Now, it could be that people say, oh, it's just a, a matter of education. If you taught people from the beginning about how internet security and how passwords work, that they would they would take these good habits on into adulthood. I, not that I'm saying this is why you shouldn't do it, but I have some doubts about that. I, I Because that, that convenience versus security trade-off is always there. And I think even if you taught an entire generation from day one super-duper password hygiene, that they would revert to the mean and they would they would say, "Yeah, I know all that, but it's real convenient, and I'm just going to make my password my birthday followed by my favorite baseball team." And there's like literally nothing you can do to stop them. In the same way, you can't but, stop but them when you're using a, computers two or three times a week. There's so many opportunities for that to just kind of you know sneak in as something that I'm not saying like today, but I mean like in two years, three years, five years. Isn't that something where we could sneak this in like through the yeah, side I'm saying door? If, if you taught them from the birth. Like taught them right. an, an excellent curriculum, like exactly what they should be doing and and drilled it into their head and required it as everything to do as part of their education that they would abandon that. Like they abandon like the, the things they had to memorize for chemistry class once they no longer need to know them for the test. Like mm-hmm. that it just is like that, it, that it's human nature. Now, the flip side of that is you could say something like uh, sex education and unprotected sex. That has shown that could be say, well, you know, humans and their sex drive. There's no way, you know, no amount of education is going to change those habits. I think it has, right? So that's the hopeful angle. It's like, well, we you teach them about birth control enough, and you don't demonize it, and you make it available that you do have new generations of kids that are much, much, much more likely to use birth control than previous generations, and that could be just tearing down the walls that you know the sort of religious uh, walls or whatever that were stopping them from doing it despite sort of knowing rationally that it's the thing to do right um but that's the that's the positive story so i don't know which one computer security is is it like sex ed where we can really change the habits of a generation of kids if we uh educate early and often or is it like uh, is it like the the current situation on the internet where you know, even the best of us do silly things just because they're convenient. And in general, nobody cares about the security stuff as much as they probably should. And nothing will change that because it all just feels esoteric. Right. Until until there's a password dump and you see how many pencil 69s are in there. 
Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing that discourages me that like, it's not like, you know, this is the first generation. And of course, all the old people don't know about it. We've had multiple generations go through this now. There's and they use computers every single day and they're just not getting any better at it. They're just, you know, it's it's the the story they always say of like how passwords are a bad system and that we need to come up with something different. It's a, ter- because, it's a terrible system. Because because <laughs> they're essentially not. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not human friendly. Like the humans will thwart them by making terrible decisions, despite how much they know better. Yeah, I got a lot of thoughts on this. I mean, okay, so, but th- there are examples, and I think you're kind of nailing the really important part of this. And this, I say this in no way to disparage the very, very, very hardworking teachers who may not have expertise in this, but definitely probably just don't even have interest in this, let alone time, let alone expertise. But, um, I mean, think about how many things in school, especially in an elementary school, uh, the staff, faculty, go out of their way to over, uh, not a virtue signal, but it's very important to them that they model certain kinds of behavior. I think a common thing that I'm very happy happens is that I think um, to a person pretty much, no, every person I have met at my kid's school goes out of their way to be kind, honestly. They, they are very, very kind. Now, I don't know if they're kind when they go home and have two glasses of wine, but they model kindness in everything that they do. The better ones also model patience. Uh, a lot of them model uh, the ability to like very f- focus very heavily on a kid. Like those are all things where you would expect or hope out of a teacher of those things. And, and thank God that that is the case. <clears throat> I'm trying to get at something that is much more, I don't know, speculative, which is that, you know, I think when we're ready to tell them why you don't get into the white van with the clown who wants to find his puppy, when we finally have that discussion about no, like, Kids who get in a van with a clown end up in a bad way, and here's very specifically why, right? At some point, you're going to have that conversation with your kid. I am not looking forward to that. But there is a way to slowly build a path toward that conversation in a way that I think a kid can very much understand, and we do it in some ways by modeling, right? Um, So I'm kind of up two minds here. I had to go look up the quote for this. I'm looking – you think about when uh, Gunnery Sergeant uh, Hartman is maybe almost his angriest – with private pile, it's when he goes in and doesn't have a, a lock on his footlocker, right? And Jim will have to blip this. Uh, Hartman, Hartman is screaming at, at uh, this is in uh, Full Metal Jacket. He says, if it wasn't for d- like you, there wouldn't be any thievery in this world, would there? Which I think is such an interesting thing to say. Like, Sergeant Hartman has been there. He knows that, and obviously part of this just is you didn't follow my order and therefore you must be singled out. But part of that is a way to say that, look, to, again, to paraphrase my friend Chris's uh, dad, locks keep the honest people honest. There's no way that we are going to stop bad things from happening. But like we all hold each other to a certain standard by all knowing that the lock on our locker works up to this point. There's something in that that I'm not qualified enough to turn into a curriculum. But there's something in that idea. It's not mean. You're not being mean to strangers, but you're saying, I'm taking care of my own little half acre over here. I think when you say that to a kid, when you say, in the same way <laughs> the gunnery sergeant Hartman is saying this to Pyle, you're saying, you know what? Even if you don't care about the contents of your footlocker, it's disruptive to the maintenance of this group to have somebody here who's not meeting the bare minimum of security. And now you're actually kind of an attractive nuisance. You've now become somebody where like, you're inviting crime on a certain level. So I, I guess I feel like when we get to the point of talking about the white van with a kid, it's going to be less 
complicated and difficult if all along the way we've said, hey, you know, belt and suspenders. These are the kinds of things that we do to take care of ourselves. When we leave the house, there's a little checklist. We make sure we've done these things. We make sure the cat's got food and water. We make sure that the, you know, the pilot light is working okay. And we lock the door when we leave because that's the thing that we do. So flash back to, I want to say two years ago was when this first really hit me. Um, so long story short, there was one of the various services that they were using. One of the things that required a log on was, I think I tried to describe this a little bit in the doc, but my memory of this was that it was a part of your name, basically that it would be like, it might be Jay Syracusa, for example, right? But it was a pattern that was replicated through all the kids. It was all the kids, first initial and last name, let's say for the sake of argument, right? <laughs> the password that every child had was their their student number. Like every kid in the class has a number from one to 26 or whatever. Just, you know, uh, it's your student number plus the same noun along the lines of password. Do you follow me? The noun from, where does the noun come from? So your password is J Syracusa. Or sorry, your, your, your login name is J Syracusa. And it's your student number plus pencil. So you're J Syracusa and your password is 22 pencil. And it's the same pencil, my, same my, for everybody. My login, my login name is M Man, and my password is seventeen pencil. And just if you couldn't figure it out yourself, everybody in the room knows everybody else's student number. It's it's an identifying characteristic of every kid in the room. When you do line, we do line. There's a name they use for this, but when you do the line time and you do the lineup, you always go in this certain order with these certain numbers. Do you see where I'm going with this? Uh, th- th- those are not. Yeah, that's certainly a login name. That's not a password. And so guess what happened? One of the kids in the class thought it'd be funny. This is like a second grader. This is a kid I want to hire. The second grader went in and caused some havoc by going into other kids' accounts. With an, it's not even guessable. It's not even guess. You're not even guessing what it is. You know what it is. You know your classmate's first name and last name. You know what their student number is. And you know what the noun is. And this kid went in. And messed around and did and did some uh, as Brady would say he was naughty, and they really brought the boom down on him. He got in a lot of trouble because he'd been hacking. When I heard that, I uh, I was very frustrated to learn that because on the one hand I thought, well, good for him. He's that's an, it's like back in the day when you would like turn it in and what was the thing you used to do where you could go in before passwords were everywhere and it wasn't finger, but there were things you could do where you could like you know, walkie-talkie to everybody in, in the, on the domain and stuff like that, just as a kind of a prank. I don't know. That, for me, like, that was the first time I felt the fear a little bit. And I was like, ah, uh, there's so much wrong with this. There's so much wrong with the kids not having anything. Their, the fir- their first experience with having a name and password is, is that stupid and, and that pointless. And that, that, that's, they're imprinting on that. Unless somebody else comes in and intervenes, they're imprinting on the idea that like a couple couple numerals plus a noun that anybody could guess is going to be any kind of protection for them. But then I thought it was actually kind of galling that that kid got in trouble. And like he got yelled at for doing that. So there's two parts of that. But one part is the demonization of hacking, which I think is separate from how good the security is. Like the idea, like sort of, the idea put forward by both movies and the content industry. That Not separating hackers versus crackers. Or just... just that breaking into a computer system is, you know, like the most heinous thing you can do. It's like, sure, you know, child slavery, that's bad. But breaking into a computer system, boy, howdy, that's the worst. Uh, part of it is like, you know, the 
the bad thing that, that people can do the adults of a certain generation didn't understand, and that stigma stuck, where it's like, I understand the world and physical security, but I have no idea about these darn computers, and the kids these days getting into the darn computers and wreaking havoc, and we got to bring the boom down. Kind of like the demonization of drugs, with the ridiculous sentences for drugs, the ridiculous sentences for hacking, the ridiculous sentences for copyright infringement, all sort of power structure systems feeling threatened by asymmetrical warfare using, you know, techniques and uh, or substances or whatever that are just so outside the the realm of expectation. So that that demonization, that's pretty terrible. And that's part of why, like, you know, if the kid had broken all the pencils, would they come down as hard on him as, as he, quote unquote, hacked into their past? No, because the pencil well, no, breaking because, is, no, is something. Because he's, he's a witch, right? He's right, a witch. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And and that that they they spin this out into like, you know, that no one spins out the pencil breaking to like when he's an adult he'll be breaking telephone poles all down the road and the, the electrical grid will go down because they'll be snapping those those like they don't extrapolate <laughs> but with the hacking it's like he'll be breaking into the Pentagon and launching the nukes right yeah, they just yeah. they just immediately and so it's ridiculous right so there's that aspect of it the other part is like in the system where they're giving the kids like essentially all the same password or all the same password system like that that. It screams a system where they just wish passwords didn't exist. Like, they don't want there to be any passwords. Which I, And honestly, I think it would be fine if there were no passwords. If anything, the sort of school IT that's insisting that they have passwords of any kind is uh, propagating a fiction that uh, that those passwords will be worth anything. The, 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 like, why even have... It's like, well, you have to have a password, and I'm in charge of school IT, and it's important for everyone to have passwords. Like, they can't let go of that when they should, because if you're not going to teach the kids... Anything about computer security? As you said, like, is it better to have no passwords? Plenty of things in school have no password. There's no password for the pencil sharpener, right? Like, it's right. Just, you, you don't, you don't, don't need one for the re- you don't need one for the restroom. And even, right. even though somebody pees on the floor in the restroom sometime, that doesn't mean we put a password on it. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by App Optics. You can learn more about App Optics right now by going to AppOptics.com. Slash differences. Application monitoring shouldn't break the bank. So AppOptics is a next-gen application performance management system built specifically to help developers and DevOps teams trace distributed transactions through their complex environment. AppOptics includes broad APM language support with auto-instrumentation, simple and easy-to-use infrastructure monitoring, which is all built in, and it's all supported by a large open community. That's really all you need to know. That's AppOptics. You go and you get it. Their plans start at just $7.50 a month. You got to go try this out. You go to appoptics.com slash differences. Our thanks to AppOptics for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. You're not teaching bad habits if it's clear to everyone this is just you just type in your name and you do your thing, right? Once you add a password there because someone insisted that you have to have one but you don't want to deal, you wish there wasn't one so you do that kind of system... I'm not entirely sure that that's going to make people have bad passwords in their adulthood because I think they'll do that naturally on their own. But at the very least, like, but don't you see the missed opportunity, kind of? But, but make it well. Before I get to that, I was like, I said, like, make it be honest about what it is. If, if you wish there was no password there, then that's the that's the environment you should have, and you shouldn't be like, well, we're not allowed to use Google Docs because right. Google insists that everybody has passwords and it won't let me set it or the school IT. Like, that's bad. Um, so I wish those things were just were essentially passwordless, and I, I'm a big proponent of the honor system and just 
having people, you know, and that avoids all the hacking stuff too, because there's nothing to hack when it's like, and, and it's also you know, a different kind of modeling. Now you're modeling about the tragedy of the commons and how we avoid that by all agreeing that we're going to treat this well. And why, why you don't go into your neighbor's desk and take their cool eraser that they like. It's like, yeah, the desk is open. There's no locks on them. It's just, this is the environment that is the lessons that we're teaching. Um, all that said with the, with the white van business and stuff, like I think it is appropriate as early as possible to start introducing this topic uh, generally, not as in connection to the place where we do our math quiz drill things, but as a separate thing entirely of like, put it on the curriculum as today we're going to talk about. And you can use it as, as a model to say, now you may be wondering, we're telling you all this stuff about security or these basics, uh, but we use computers and we don't use any of that. Why is that? And you could say, here's the difference. Like in school, this is your account just for school. It is, you know, you could, you make analogies to the bathrooms and the pencil sharpener to say, you have, you will have to distinguish in your life between things that don't, we don't use security on and things that you absolutely should use security on. Um, and then have the whole conversation about how you shouldn't, you know, put any personal identifying information in places right. with where there's no security, like have that whole conversation, but use it as, as a, an example to show like, not just that every single thing in your life should be super duper secure, but that you should be able to distinguish between the thing you do at summer camp to log on to the system that everyone logs on to, to like power their robots. Right. That is not, you know, that, that we have no security on whatsoever because we're all just sharing the system and it's just a fun thing that we're doing versus your email address that you will, you know, your personal email address and why that's the linchpin of so much and why you can't use the same set of rules for, you know, the math quiz thing on the shared computer in your school and later in life, like these important things that you'll have. So I think you can start introducing that very early, a little bit at a time, just like these other topics till eventually, I, probably the same time you tell them about the white van, you can tell them about child predators on the internet. You can tell them about people you know, once you have information or things that people can steal, your selfies, like, it, it's the same mm -hmm. conversation. Essentially, in the end, it's the same conversation as the white van thing, unfortunately, for, mm -hmm. like, for kids that age. Because that is the main danger to them. They don't have credit cards. They don't have bank accounts. They don't have years and years worth of email filled with, you know, they're, they're not going to get their identity stolen, probably. They're going to get, the white van is, is the uh, most immediate fear. And in the same way we teach about that, we need to teach about this because they will be on the internet and they will be taking pictures of themselves and they will mm -hmm. be communicating with each other. And so it definitely should be part of the curriculum, but I would, I would mostly make it separate from the often painful use of technology in classes to teach other subjects. Yeah. I mean, from a practical standpoint, that makes a lot of sense just because, so you're going to take all of the things that we require out of a teacher, require from a teacher these days, plus add, like you've got to be smarter than your average bear about internet security. That's a lot to ask. I, I mean, they don't have to be that much smarter, like especially in the first or second grade. Maybe the only thing you talk about is, I don't know, broad strokes, the world of the in, what is the internet and how we're all connected and, you know, how information that you put there is accessible to everybody else unless you protect it. And here are different ways, you know, like really basic stuff about the, you know, the acknowledgement that, taking a picture on your phone like that it doesn't end on your phone you see mm -hmm. it on your phone but that that it now connects you know to the thing called the internet and what does that mean that means every single you know draw lines in the board and say see how these lines connect even though you just took this picture here someone over there can go from this line to this line to this line to this line and they can get your picture they're like oh they shouldn't get my picture oh well what's stopping them then you get into computer security and 
what you would be protecting with that security, like really broad strokes, like just yeah. very high level concepts. And every year, crank that up a little bit. This is like a two day unit. It's not that much. I, I, I yeah, and I'm I'm imagining, and this I'm not the one who would teach this because I don't know this stuff. But like I'm imagining somebody comes in, and it's always it's been very sobering to me over the years, uh, especially as computers have gotten faster. To see, I remember there was something in I want to say Lifehacker a while back that would show you like how quickly a given kind of password with certain um well, i depress the kids about the the advance of the advance of uh math but like okay but but i'm sitting i'm sitting here doing this right now in one password and i know this is this is not necessarily for every like 10 year old kid but like go in and generate some four four words separated by dashes hell let's do three words three words separated by dashes amigo begat room right widget hull utter you could certainly that could be kind of a fun class if somebody comes in and explains well you know guess what you know pencil uh octothorpe 69 is actually probably not as good as for example Karam snuggle psychic caution <laughs> that's actually like a pretty good password and how crazy is that yeah, those classes are the most difficult to teach because it's nuances that it's fairly advanced. You have to teach it to, to advanced children and finding teachers <laughs> who are actually up to date. I think it would be somebody from outside. I don't think it would be a teacher. Even people from outside, it's really, really difficult to. That, that's the problem with a lot of these topics that change quickly. I mean, hell, even in businesses and, you know, the, the the accepted best practice now among as far as I'm aware, as of a year or two ago, is I think even like the government, you know, was it the government agency that recommends like security practices for all the government agencies and stuff like that? Um, is that you shouldn't make people uh, right, right, right. reset do, their you passwords don't do that. every like, well, every once a month? You've got to come up with a unique password with no characteristics that resemble your previous. One. That is an anti-pattern. That's, that like, that, so, that is an like, anti-pattern that is a guarantee of appearing on a Post-it note over your computer. Right, and and it took a long time for the you know the, the the top end of the security world to come around to the idea that that's not the best practice, right? At my work, we are all required to change our passwords on a fairly annoyingly short schedule. Right, you can't even make best practices penetrate to for-profit corporations. The idea of that of those best practices successfully penetrating to people who visit to schools is. It's very, it, it's not likely to happen. Like, because schools lag so far, they're probably the last to be teaching about, you know, the, the current practices of things that change like that. So it, it, that is a difficult situation. And if I had to teach a class about what's a good password, what's a bad password, the main thing I would be trying to teach, or what's a good practice, what's a bad practice, the main thing I'd be trying to teach is the idea that the answers to these questions change and that there's nothing that you can learn now that will serve you for the rest of your life. Right. The, the, this is a, this right. is an area, an evolving area that you must pay attention to. And it's important for you to pay attention to it. Some baseline level of attention paid to it because it's not static. It's going to change a lot in your life. And there's literally nothing I can tell you now that you can write down and memorize and just take with you for the, your entire adult life and be safe because it just won't happen. And, and to illustrate that, I would show like, you know, how fast short passwords can be cracked and, you know, how impenetrable they were just 20 years ago and how oh, they yeah. takes a fraction of a second now and to say well, what that means is that you have to keep up with this because if you don't keep up with it and keep doing what what is the very best thing we can tell you right now even if i even knew what the very best thing was 
in 20 years, the, if you keep doing that same very best thing, you are totally open. So that's, that's a bummer, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's like, that's the lesson to, to teach kids. And this is like a high school level lesson of like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean the whole, like, what's the guy's name? Bruce Schneier. I don't know how you pronounce it, yeah, but yeah. security is a process, not a product. I mean, there's so many things where I would love to introduce a module about how so many things that seem like a product are actually a process. I mean, ugh, I would kill for that. So we should start our own school, you and me. We'll do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, in, in the end, a lot of things are like that. Like the main lesson of history is not you to learn a bunch of events that happened in the past, but that you get that you get a view of like how things go down when humans with humans. And you learn, so you learn you, what mistakes people can't help making again and again and, and possibly why. Yeah. And, you know, that like that you will be able to pattern match you know you extrapolate forward and so that's the you know the lessons of history that yeah you learn about these things in detail or whatever but you should start to you know you can apply that in it and for computer security uh, or you know uh, the millionth time you learn about some substance that is potentially you could potentially abuse like the, you get start mm-hmm. start to get some tools to understand how does this fall is like how addictive is it how common is it what are the bad effects what are the good effects what you know what are the economics of it like you know that's part of the obsession with drugs part of the good thing about these session drugs is like just went into such incredible depth and detail about every aspect of every drug of, you know <laughs> all the way down to the economics where does it come from how is it manufactured how does it get here like it's like are we all going to be de agents like and, i know, you know i it's know like, it's just need to be but we get and, and but it's kind of good because now you, we have this toolbox to evaluate drugs and to, you know, call BS on people telling us that marijuana is the same category of drug as heroin or whatever. Like, it's like, that doesn't make sense based on what we've learned here. It's like, you know, like that, that's a good tool set. So I think, you know, but also, and honestly, also, that's, that's an especially kind of poignant example of something where uh, it, it helps if you can be honest about why you're teaching this. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's on the one hand to say that like, well, you know, uh, it's one thing to say that like, hey, you know, uh, marijuana is legal and it's actually not deadly. And but it's still something you need to be you need to be aware of what the effects are and what it can cost you is very different from in some ways from like, well, if you have unprotected sex in 1986, you might die. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to was... be able to like be sober and honest, I mean, because kids have an amazing BS detector. And uh, they're very skeptical about everything to begin with. But like you do yourself no particular advantage by going in with something that, you know, to, to be an all booga booga about something. Uh, you can't always sell that with kids. Yeah. Although that, that particular sex thing that, you know, what I was taught as kids, you know, you have sex, you will die. Because like mm-hmm. the height of the AIDS epidemic, like that was much yeah. more true then than it is now. Yes. There was no treatments and, you know, like, right. And I think that telling kids that age that something they will do could potentially kill them like has no effect like <laughs> that's so much less effective that's so skull. much if they're 26 that might work not gonna work if they're 50 yeah it just bounce it's like all right well that's a thing that could happen <laughs> to other people but i'm immortal so i don't even know why you're telling well, me now this. you have and, my attention it might kill me huh wow yeah. and and to connect it given to that sex, i'm indestructible it sounds like something i should try <laughs> right it, it, you're connected to sex which is like the the uh you know the uh, irresistible force, right? Yes, <laughs> just, yes. Yeah. So I don't think that that had any effect, but it was so much more true than, than it is now. And it just, yeah, the, the computer security stuff will continue to be true uh, unless there's some kind of breakthrough. Like there's two possibilities of how the security stuff could go down. Like I'm always, we're always on the lookout for the security apocalypse. Like if someone yeah. perfects quantum computing and just like shatters every every technique we have, every mathematical technique we have to secure information, 
is destroyed by our advances in computation, right? And there would be some gap before they come up with the next advance to use that new computation to come up with a way to secure everything. But there's this period of time before that happens when the whole world is cracked open. That's bad. Like, that mm-hmm. can happen. <laughs> That's bad. Um, and the other side is that we come up with way better ways to secure everything, that we stop this password nonsense, that we come up with ways that are a better fit for human nature, that make everything way more secure. Um, and that, like, the the way our information becomes obsolete is like, oh, we used to have to know all these details about security, but now we don't have to know nearly as much because of the invention of whatever, like whatever, whatever the new magic security thing. Now I don't even know the difference between a 1959 Les Paul and a... Yeah. So those, those two and the final thing I want to add here, though, is yes. uh, both of us, I think, don't actually know what is actually being taught at the higher levels about computer security. For all we know, computer security has been an important part of high school curriculum for like 10 years, but we don't have kids in high school yet, so we don't know. So I think we will learn as our kids march through the grades at what point. I feel like they will. Be, both of our children will be taught at some point about computer security somewhere. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's just, I go back to the hand-washing, where I'm, I'm such a grind about hand-washing because I really feel like I've seen the difference that it can make. You don't have to be a crazy person about it, but, like, we're not going to not wash our hands because it's inconvenient. Like, I know, we're at the mall. It sucks. But if we want to eat, we've been on Muni. We're going to wash our hands before we eat. This is how we don't get cold. It's, it's just that, you know, to be able to kind of hand-wave this stuff away at a time when, like, exposure to it I don't know. But no, I take your point, though. I take your point. And that's why I'm saying, like, um, now I feel like the ultimate kind of Apple fan where, like, I don't know how to fix this problem. I don't, I don't even know how to fully identify this problem. But I know there is somebody who could. And I would love for their influence uh, to be exercised over somebody in a way that could be uh, that kids can imprint on. That's all. Bringing this back to face idea, actually. For the sort of passwordless classroom scenario, imagine if everything, every computing device that first graders interacted with did face ID. Mm-hmm. That would be a way to avoid uh, dealing with security stuff. It would be a way to not have to teach kids about security just because you want them to do to learn to do the little math quiz reading quiz thing, right? Mm-hmm. And actually would provide more security than everyone having a, a completely predictable password. Total, totally true, yeah. So that's an example of an advanced technology that has sort of, it's kicking the, the ball down the road because you still eventually need to teach the kids about this, but at the very least, it doesn't interfere with you trying to teach them how to read and write. Like that you that you're able to defer this conversation until you're ready to actually talk about it and not have to deal with it as a side effect because technology has solved that problem for you. It would, it would, tick, it would tick all the boxes because it wouldn't be difficult uh, it would actually be effective. But, you know, kids are surrounded by all kinds of arbitrary things. There's there's reasons that, like, after this time, you're not allowed to go in this area or we don't yell in the hall. There's, like, there's huge amounts of arbit- arbitrariness in every kid's life. It's just that it feels like it, it could be a thin end of the wedge to getting them thinking about something that's going to become, that's going to suddenly become very, very important for them. You know, I guess what I'm not saying, here's what I'm not saying that I probably should say. I think it sucks that, You've got to go have, at some point, you've got to go have a very difficult crash course conversation with your kid at a time when you probably have next to zero credibility with them in terms of saying like, oh, you know, I've been using a computer for a long time and I'm here to tell you this is why you shouldn't post pictures of yourself. If you're doing that five years into this current environment that they're growing up in of (laughs) if what they're seeing at school is presented to them as what's normal for password security and then you swoop in as the old man kicking his slippers at them. That's going to be a tough sell is kind of also I'm looking in terms of self-preservation. 
it's gonna be a very hard sell for me at that point to say that like your pencil 69 password, like we've really need to work on that because of the white fans. Yeah. I've, I've been working on my kids with uh, password security since very early on, since before they even had any kind of accounts in school computers. Right. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's better than nothing, but they know they intellectually know all of what you're supposed to do. But at various times I have like had my kids, you know, set up an account like, Oh, you need an account for this PlayStation thing for, you know, you're going to use your own PlayStation account. Right. So we've talked about this a million times. You've seen me do it. You have your passwords that I made for them that are, you know, fairly more, more secure than most adults passwords for anything. Right. Mm-hmm. That I made you memorize. Right. Like I've done all, I've done all this hard work. I said, now you create an account for this, whatever new thing that you're doing. And despite conversations, they'll look up at me and say, can I just use the same password? Like they feel like they, it's such an achievement that they had remembered like the, the password that I made for them. That's this big complicated thing for like the one email address that they had. Yeah. And they so desperately, they so desperately want to use that. And they know they're not supposed to. And so look at me and say, Can I just use the same password. And I'll be like, no, you can't use it. Like, what have we been talking about? For these? It's like, I know. it's I know. impossible. It's like, they, like, it's so, what? it's so important that you not do that. And then you saw the email that I sent you from today. I sent you a screen grab. Teacher's very excited to announce that the service that we used to use is back. And you know what the good news is? You can just reuse your Google password and it'll work fine. Yep. Yay. Yep. Have a good yeah, week. No, we, we've conveniently set it to the same password that we should not actually even know. <laughs> <laughs> if you keep copying the same key, it's not really a key anymore. <laughs> yeah, but they so, like, because it's just human nature. Like, they don't want to <sighs> memorize another giant thing. And, like, and I've talked to them about password managers, and they're just like, oh, like, this just like, this is ridiculous. Who made this system? I'm like, I know, but it's what we've got. It's, like, oh, it's what we've got. This is it. I know. I know. Like, and I don't want, you want to protect mm. them from it, but at the same time, like, they want to have accounts. They want to have a, it's a, you so, know, it would be so, uh, I mean, like, the thing is, when you talk about the creating accounts on the PlayStation, it would be so easy to just go in and say, you know, I'm chunkylover53 at AOL.com and check this out. I'm also going to make that my password, chunkylover53, mm-hmm. except I'm going to make it an A instead of an at. Like, how cool is that? Mm-hmm. That is so fast to type. That I, like, is so baller. I, I let, uh, when I let my kids set their PIN codes on their iOS devices. One, 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 right? one. Right? Yeah, no, they, like, despite us having the conversations of how you shouldn't use all, not just like one, two, three, four, five, and not even just like birthdays or your age or the year or like, they're just, they go through, like, in desperation trying to make a code that I will find acceptable. They go, they literally hit all the, the uh, you know, they, they go through all the hits. Like, you know. <laughs> Can I use our dog's name? Can I use our address? And it's like, no, 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 no. No, like, no, no. It's like, how do you even know? How do you even know that? Like, it's just human nature to know all the bad ones. And then, then they come up with something arbitrary. Well, that's why, that's what's interesting about doing, I don't know if Diceware is exactly the word for it, but there's, there's a really, I mean, for those of you who have not done this in 1Password, if you only ever used it to capture your old passwords, go to 1Password. I'm in 1Password 6. File. New password. Um, let's see here, new, yeah, new password. And then, so you can go in and when you, you can click on that little dial that lets you regenerate a password and you can select how many characters, length, digits, and symbols, et cetera. Or you can say words and you could say, make me a password that consists of four English words. And the diceware part that's important is it's not four words that I quote unquote randomly picked. It's for like more or less, I'm sure Jeff Goldberg could, could probably really school me on this, but hobble, drake, yearbook, nutmeg. I did not pick those. Ordinal, Pageboy, Distrait, Seidel. 
Like these are actually like surprisingly good passwords. And all you have to type is English letters and a dash. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. But you know what, dude, if you did just three English words separated by dashes, honey, sweetie pie, if you did two English words separated by dashes, you'd be so much better off than what you think that thing you're putting in. Yeah, okay. I, even in those things, I'm always afraid to tell my kids systems like that because I'm trying to impart the idea that no system is good. And, and in the case of those type of systems, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to impart the idea that no system is good. Right. So it was in the case of those, anything that constrains <laughs> the anything that constrains your password in any way, like if yeah. it's constrained to English words by dashes, like the cracking programs know that that is a, a system. And so like in the same way, they know all the common passwords and they all know all the replacing the letters with the symbols that look like those letters. Yep. They also know the system of a bunch of English words with separators. And so anything that constrains the password, the cracking program's like, that's great. You've narrowed down the problem space to me tremendously. And so they have different strategies and different approaches. Say, if the, if they've, if they're using letter replacement, do this. If they're using uh, a bunch of words, do this. If they're using, you know, uh, numbers or symbols and the combinations of them, like, like those, those programs, the, the, the cracking things, they feed on the idea that, human beings need something to hang their hat on to remember these stupid passwords, right? That's why the multiple words thing. Right. No, no, I, I'm not saying this is the best. The best situation is to, I think, to go in and just say, what do I do, like 20, 27 Yeah, characters. like line noise. Line, line noise well, just is, to go is the in best. To say, so length, length of 20, digits 3, symbols 3, and just and just see what that comes up with. And you don't even need, you, it'd be, you're better off if you don't know it, is what I would say about that. Yeah, no, that's, a, you know, the total line, noise, no constraints whatsoever. You pick a random character from a set of printable characters, let's say, like the least of, the entire range of things that this could type. Right. Uh, but, but it's, but, but that, you did but not have, you did not decide anything that made it even close to a word. Did you ever read Jeff Goldberg? Jeff Goldberg is a, a guy at, uh, at Pitts. Did you ever read his thing about like the Larry Curly Moe thing? Did you ever read that article? He no, read? I don't think so. I'll find it. Yeah. But so the, the, yeah, the kids, the kids like, they, they recognize the problem very soon. It's like, so good passwords are the ones that it's impossible for me to memorize? Like, yes, that's, that's, but that's not <laughs> not, not good passwords, like, honey. The only password. <laughs> right. That's, you know, so like, right. uh, and the ones, the passwords I gave them, they're not like line noise. They are constrained in a way that the kids have a fighting chance of typing them and they've mm-hmm. typed them enough now that they've both memorized them. I've also tried to prepare them for the day. Like, look, this will not be a, a password for this account for life. Eventually this password will be burned and you'll have to come up with another one. So right. when I went through the exercise, oh, so you're getting your second account. Let's come up with a good password for it. And they know you can't use the other one, blah, blah, blah. When we went through that exercise, I said, and and by the way, the other password that you like, that one's going to be gone soon, too. Like, you can't keep them for your whole life. Eventually, they get... they. It's it's a, it's a, it's a string of letters, not a pet. Yeah. And so it, 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 these are hard lessons. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to teach them at home, which is difficult. I think school should address this so far, as far as I'm aware. I should actually ask... My son, if he's in middle school, have they touched any of this stuff? But I, you know, actually, I would love. I don't want to give you homework, but I would love to hear about that. I'm guessing no. I'm guessing they haven't touched on it, but I'll but I'll ask. But yeah, this should definitely be taught somewhere. You should just uh, respond to an email from the teacher, and, and so that's on the two line. It goes to everybody in the class. You could ask them what they think about that, or you go on next door. Mm-hmm. I saw a friend of ours on next door today. I felt really bad. She had her, she had her pot of plants stolen. Yeah, my wife. I see she's getting emails from next door, so I think she's she's part of it. She tried to rope me into it. I resisted, but I think she's still <laughs> getting it. It's fun to get the urgent emails because you can you can choose to be opted in for. Let me know when something urgent happens. This is one that I received um, yesterday. So so this is like this is like my kid 
uh, my kid is missing in the woods type things, right? It's it's sort of like, you know, or like, you know, my, my sweet precious angel has disappeared. I got to find my cat. Uh, this is, uh, thank you, thank you very much uh, to neighbor Erica. Urgent alert. This, this, this came to me, came to me late at night. I'm looking for a handyman to do some work. Anyone know of a good one who has uses an invoice? I'll read that again. I'm looking for a handyman to do some work. Anyone know of a good one who has uses an invoice? Who has Urgent. uses? Has uses an invoice. Yeah, that's from that's from neighbor Erica. It was holding together in the beginning there, uh-huh, uh-huh. and then it's it ur- just, it's urgent, just fell, urgent. Fell apart. Yeah, you understand? Urgent, urgent is usually like just shy of nine one one. Yeah, yeah. You, maybe you, one, you, maybe one of her light bulbs is out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they said no one's supposed to be in the area. That's right. Not even. I can keep getting that combined with uh, uh, clerks. Not even supposed to be here today. Oh, I don't. You know, I've never seen clerks. You never, oh my goodness! That, no, that's, I, I would watch that. I would watch that. That is a window that you definitely miss because you I watching, feel like. Are you watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime? No, I, I've heard a lot about it, and I believe I have added it to my list, but I am not watching it. I I don't like to give you homework. I've already given you homework with your son. Uh, I would say um, I'm gonna put a stake in the ground. I think you should at least watch the pilot. It's uh, it's super duper New York, and it's gorgeous. The costumes are amazing. I don't know if you're ever a Gilmore Girls fan, but it's, you know, potty mouth. Uh, it's Amy Sherman Palladino who did Gilmore Girls does this. Yeah, I've seen the ads for it. I know what, I know what's involved. I think, I think I'll probably like it. I the mean, maybe woman, it's a little bit. Um, not, she's not from Mr. Robot. What is she from? Um, Rachel, Rachel Brosnahan. She's, she's been in other things. She's quite, quite good. And it's, it's got a great cast. It's got like um, Tony Shalhoub and uh, Kevin Pollack, stuff like that. I think you'd really enjoy it. Yeah. I, I found it very addictive. I keep trying to get back into Godless. I'm still stuck on episode three of Godless. Every time it comes on, I'm like, oh, I'm not up to this. This show is so good, but it's heavy and dark, and I really like it, and I, I don't feel like I'm qualified to watch it unless I've really got the energy, and so I end up watching bass videos or Mrs. Maisel. I think I think Godless, I found it rough going far, in the beginning. How far, how far are, you, are you? I finished it. Uh, oh, when really? I, when I, okay. Wait, when I first started watching Godless, I'm like, the first episode or two, I felt like you were said, mishandled. You said you said that it, cal- I think the phrase you used was it calms down a lot after the first episode. Yeah, like, it, it, I don't know what was mishandled about it, but it was it was like keeping me at a distance. And then, but there was a turn. And at that point, like, I was in. I was all well, in it on was, the it's a, it's a little, there's a lot going on and it's a little stiff. In the first episode, but I felt like by the time you get to the end of the third act of the first episode, I was bought in. I was by the time we see like what the dude, like what his deal is, uh, yeah. I was really bought in. And yeah, I love I, that actress. She's from Downtown Abbey. Did you know that? I do know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, yeah. I, I think that that show won me over with with characters, which I, I oh, like the characters so were much. instead of all like the shows with like the characters that you know they're all bad people and you hate all of them, like are characters that you don't think are nice people this is the opposite of that where everybody in the show like resists being a you know maximum interest so like everyone is obnoxious uh, because that's the most interesting way they can be that everyone resists that that they they try to be real people yeah but but also that um it's you keep waiting i'm cribbing this a little bit from um jason jason's podcast with tim goodman but you keep waiting for this to be well, the obvious, not antecedent, but the obvious similarity. You wait, keep waiting for the Westworld twist. You keep waiting for somebody to go, oh, you know, what's the turns out? What's or, the, like, or even uh, for it to be Deadwood. You're waiting for it to be Deadwood and it will It's very, I would say, heavily influenced by Deadwood. 
uh, in lots of ways. But yeah, you keep waiting for it. But you know what? It's just a really good TV show. Like, just enjoy it as a TV show. Stop waiting for it to turn into The Sixth Sense or something. Yeah, and the other show that I watched recently that I find myself thinking about actually more than Godless, which I enjoyed and I thought it was, I recommend definitely that people should watch, but I watched uh, Alias Grace. Oh, I started I started that, and uh, wait, give me a quick primer. We watched an episode of this. This is, remind me what happens on the, the show. There's a Margaret Atwood uh, thing, which which I had no familiarity yeah, with, which pacing, I think helps. the pacing was, was real strange. It's Canada. Yep. And, yeah. There's a story of a woman... And she's in, she's uh, in jail, and, and a lot of it's told in flashback. Yeah, it's all it's all told in flashback. But do you, yeah. do you recommend sticking with it? I think so. I, I don't I don't know much about Margaret Atwood. I think I probably actually read The Handmaid's Tale when I was young, and then of course we've got the whole, you know, the whatever series Hulu yeah. or whatever. Yeah, we've got that mm-hmm. whole miniseries. Um, and that's you know, no one's watching that and wondering what the message is, right? But <laughs> like. And Margaret Atwood, like, this is the second thing from her, that the, you know, the second thing that I'm aware of in existence. And it's clear that she's got a, a thing that she wants to talk about, which is essentially the treatment of women. Um, mm-hmm. And The Handmaid's Tale is a fantastical way to talk about it. And this is a much more prosaic way to talk about it. But also a little bit more zoomed in. I mean, there's a, there's a you know, whatever, what do they talk about? The Fox and the Hedgehog or whatever. Like, The, the Handmaid's Tale has a, a very sweeping ambition. And this show feels more, a little bit more focused yeah uh, and about it's not about every aspect of how the patriarchy becomes this hegemonic force it's it's much more not much more subtle but it's more subtle and there's a lot more to like all kinds of things about what we know and understand and believe about people yeah and it's very character driven in that like mm-hmm. it, in, it's part way through you'd be like okay is this am, am i is there some sort of message in this or is this just a story about characters and i feel like in the end it, it melds them both together well and that it doesn't say these characters are just chess pieces on the board of me trying to trace out a thing that I'm trying to tell you. But it also doesn't say that, no, actually this is a story about characters has nothing. Then it has no wider message. It has both in it. It pulls them off. uh, It pulls them both off really well, where I feel like the the end of it, I'm satisfied that that the characters weren't just there to be playthings for a message, but I'm also satisfied that the larger message makes the story more than just a bunch of stuff that's happened to some made up people. Last question. Did you see Coco? I did. Maybe after the first, let's give people time to see it, but maybe after the first of the year, I would love to talk about that movie. Yep. People should go see it. Uh, people should know, definitely, I with, feel without the frozen short, if you can, did you, I sent you that photo, right? Yeah. yeah. The sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So they, they had announced, so apparently, uh, it came out that there was going to be this frozen short and then it came out that I guess people didn't like it very much. And who requested that it be pulled? Was it Disney that requested that they pull it? Yeah. But and that, that's, it was long. It's not, it's not particularly good. It's not nearly as bad as people it, say, yeah, but it's, it's not, not but it's not, it's, but it's not good. It's, it's the length. That's the problem. That is the it problem. Is because it's roughly you know, as long kids, as a TV show. Yes. And it just, yeah, it, it's like, it's like 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. And that's just with all you've got already got like it's a half no, an hour. It's, it's, let's just say it's no Jack Jack attack. It's no bounden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not propulsive. <laughs> like, and, it, and it makes you like it just makes the movie going experience like it brings it over the line. There's a line yeah. after which like the natives are getting restless. Right. So it's time. Right. You know, it's it's. It just makes We've already it sat long. through, and you sat. We sat through. So we, I think, we broke a record this time for the number of times my daughter and I turned 
as you know, so so like you know, you get the you get the trailer, did it, did it, did it, and at the end the rating comes up and they say when it's coming out, and that's the point when my daughter and I always turn to each other and usually at least make a face and sometimes say oh yeah or hard pass is what we usually say. Mm-hmm. We had three hard passes in the trailers for this one. There were so many terrible, terrible. Yeah, movies. that's the one I tweeted about. Oh, they're all making these terrible uh, pun based jokes based on profanity in kids movies. I said to my I said to my daughter I said there's two things that you need to learn about the man family. Two things you need to understand. First of all, farts are funny. Everybody knows that farts are funny. It's uh, that it's, there is nothing wrong with laughing at farts. And I'll go so far as to say I've laughed pretty hard at farts in movies. With that said, if there's even one fart or butt-related joke in the trailer for a movie, be circumspect. Because there's a pretty good chance that's the best they had. And if it involves like an animal sliding backwards with like a butt landing on a face, and then there's two more fart jokes in the trailer... That's really not a good sign. And, and I didn't like that. Like I said, I didn't like the, the adult angle. Like, oh, hey, parents, here's why you I know, should come see I know, the movie. You're right, you're right. It just, it just yeah. feel like that's that's weak. It's it's not appropriate. Uh, and it's like you should be able to uh, make a trailer for a kid's movie that makes adults want to see it without saying, like, what's next? You're just going to have, like, flashes of nudity to bring the parents in? Like, it's not, well, it's like not appropriate. Well, like, an excellent example of a movie my daughter ended up liking, much to my chagrin, is the Boss Baby movie. Mm. We're, like, ending the trailer with a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross reference. Yeah. That's like just bouncing uh, off the kids. And you know, it's, it's she the, really liked that. It's a DreamWorks school. So I, you know, okay. School. So my expectations were, as I said to you in the private text channel, my, my expectations were so hopelessly low that I ended up thinking it was okay, but it was funny. Cause there's a sign with typos on it that somebody had made that had a big frozen winter massacre or whatever it was, it was called. It was on a print shop, right? It, I think so. It, ty- typos and all. And it, but they were like, it was, I sent that same photo to my wife and she said, my God, it's like a warning. And, and what did it say? It said, um, that Olaf's frozen adventure, (laughs) all showings of Coco include the featurette Olaf's frozen adventure. New paragraph. The featurette is approximately 22 minutes long and is included in the full, full feature runtime. And it was definitely included in the full feature runtime, but they had to warn people that you're about just so you know, there's a 22-minute movie before the movie. And, and super loud, always on, talkative, very loud, laughing loud gay guy, two seats down from us, turned to my daughter, my 10-year-old daughter, and said, is this Coco? It's like a new uh, record. Oh, 40-something minutes in, and he's got to take a break. <laughs>